I don't know how many of you are like me, but I love Marvel. I'm so glad they exist because they have helped create a whole bunch of movies that I like. One of which is Iron Man. Uh, You know, with Thor, it's okay, but if you're not born in Asgard, you're out of luck. But with Iron Man, he's a normal guy. It's the suit. And with that suit, it makes all the difference in the world. And this ordinary guy becomes a superhero. And I think that's every boy's little dream growing up. Well, there was an Iron Man in Paul's day. He was called a Roman legionnaire. And if you hadn't watched Marvel up to that point, you would have been pretty impressed to be a legionnaire or to be around them. When Paul lived, they were the greatest force that the earth had known. No nation had been able to stand up to Rome and its legions. All of the mighty armies Rome had just walked right over. And they were, in Paul's day, viewed as these almost superhuman kind of soldiers that you just did not want to stand against. Well, I think what really happened is that as Paul was sitting, thinking about the spiritual life one day, he looked over and noticed one of the legionnaires, maybe one of the legionnaires guarding him. And as he was sitting there contemplating, he was thinking, you know, we're like that. God has given us that kind of stuff. To help us in our war. And he writes about that in Ephesians. And that's what we want to talk about today. Um, We saw last week the reality that we are in a war. And I want to go back and read the one verse. One of the verses we looked at last week. Ephesians 6 verse 12. Paul says we're in a struggle... But our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We don't fight in the world of legionnaires. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we looked at that last week. The reality that Paul is referring to and it's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture That the issues we struggle with are not just physical in this physical world, but there is a spiritual battle going on. And while we may not be able to see it physically, it is just as real as any physical battle. And our battle is against Satan, the devil, his demons, and all of those forces of evil, and they are real. And when you consider how powerful they are and the damage that they can do, it would, easy, it would be easy to say, we are in deep trouble. This is hopeless. We don't have a chance. And if we are only looking at our own human power, that is the correct conclusion that we should arrive at. On our own, we do not have a chance in this war. We're going to die. But the good news is that we are not on our own. No, Brad, you're going to have to do this. 
Okay? Um, God is not just a spectator in this war. He has made provision for us. He has said, I will help you. And the, one of the ways he has said, I will help you, is that I will provide for you weapons, spiritual weapons for a spiritual war. And these weapons will help you in this war so that you can be victorious. Go back to Ephesians 6 and let's keep reading 13 through 17. Therefore, because we are in this battle, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when you are attacked, when you're in the midst of the battle, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, still be standing. How do we do that? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul just looked at that legionnaire and looked at all of the equipment that he had. And you can just read here how he went down and said, yeah, we've got that. But spiritually, it's this. And we've got one of those, but spiritually, it's this. And he went right through all the things that God has provided for us to help us in this battle. But Paul's challenge is not just to tell us what we've got. Where does he begin his challenges? Make sure you put on all your equipment. Make sure you put on the full armor of God. And if you think about it, it's only logical, isn't it? Paul says, don't miss it, folks. If God has given you all this equipment, don't just pick up a helmet. Put it all on. Because every one of these pieces has a different role. They work together and you need them all. And that was why the Roman legions were so invincible. With all of their armor and their swords and their shields. And when they stood together in that shield wall, no army could stand against them. And Paul said, spiritually we have that same capability. If we will put on what God gives us to use and we'll use those weapons, we too, after the battle's over, will still be standing. So what I want us to do today is look at that legionnaire and just go through what Paul lists. He begins with the belt of truth. Now the belt's not real glamorous. You just need one. It keeps all those robes together and it holds your equipment. It your, holds your scabbard for your sword. It lets you get ready to fight. He says we need that belt buckled around us because the truth does that for us. Believing that there is a right and wrong, that there is a concept of truth... And we need to face the fact that in our day and age, that is a question mark now. 
Because we are currently living in a culture that says everything is subjective. There is no truth that's ultimately true. What does our culture say? Well, that's true for you. And I'll choose my own truth. And that sounds very enlightened. It sounds very open-minded. It's a very popular view today. But what that is ultimately saying is there is no such thing as truth that is always true for everybody. And while that feels good and it's popular today, that leaves us vulnerable because we have no truth to guide us. It's also, I will call it, illogical even though it's popular. Because there is nothing in our universe that confirms that view of truth. What is our universe built on? Principles and laws of physics that never change. Truth. Gravity is always true. Doesn't matter what planet you're on. Doesn't matter what century you live on. Doesn't matter what side of the world you live on or what culture you live in. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Gravity is true. And so are all of the other truths about life. And what Paul knows is that God has given us this truth. We find it in Scripture. And that truth prepares us to handle life. God tells us what's right. He tells us what's wrong. He tells us what will work. He tells us what won't work. Whether that's in our relationship, our speech, our priorities, how we deal with strangers, how we deal with friends, how we live in our families. God has given us truth for all of those. And if we have that truth, it sets us up to live life and it sets us up for battle. Because I have truth I can fall back on. I understand how things really work. Even though others may come up and say, well, that's not true anymore. It doesn't work that way anymore. Oh, yeah, it does. Truth doesn't change in 2015. Truth is always truth. And I can always fall back and put my hand out and hold on to it. And it'll be there and it won't move and it won't change next year. Jesus says, in John 8:31 If you hold to my teaching you're really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free You see that's the insight that Jesus gives us that is so missed today People see truth as some kind of handcuffs as some kind of straitjacket that takes away our freedom but what Jesus says, if you understand the truth, the truth about life, about the past and the future, if you understand God's truth, it gives you freedom. And he said, that's why I've come, to give you this truth, so that you can experience freedom. You see, truth is a powerful weapon against Satan. Because what is Satan? He is a liar. In fact, Jesus said he is the father of all lies. He loves to deceive us by lies. Oh, that's not really wrong. God didn't really mean that. He said that to Adam and Eve. He still works that way today. Everybody's doing it. But if we know the truth, 
then we can stop Satan with his lies. And he won't hurt us. He won't wound us in this war. Because God's truth protects us against his attacks and his lies. Well, the second thing that Paul lists is the breastplate of righteousness. That's that thing that covers your torso. Pretty important because that's where all your organs are. That's how they're going to kill you. And so you want to protect all that. It was sort of Kevlar in the first century. But our righteousness does that for us. I think what Paul is talking about there is that we are careful in our life that we do the right thing. We are righteous. And we're careful in our lives to not do the wrong thing. Keeping wrong out of our lives protects us. It covers our heart, our lungs, all those things that keep us alive. And when we're careful to do the right thing and to keep the wrong thing out of our life, then evil can't get through and kill us. Satan can't get through and kill us. Now you may think that's all arbitrary but, or theory, but you think about the news lately. And how many people have seen their careers, their lives destroyed because they let some evil creep in. They weren't careful to do right and avoid wrong. And so you have this website that helps people have affairs. That There even is a website like that. And then you have all these people say, well, nobody will know. And then somebody hacks the website and publishes all the information. And apparently millions of people are now freaking out because the word is out that they signed up for this website to help me have an affair. There's a solution to this. Don't go to the website. Don't do it. I didn't have to panic when I read that news story. I know my name will not be on the list. Righteousness protects you. And how often do we let a little bit of sin creep in? There's two politicians in the state legislature who probably are in trouble for the next election because they thought they could meet in a park and nobody would catch them except for the park ranger because they parked wrong and then it's on the news. And they probably are thinking, I wish we hadn't done that. There is a protection for that. That breastplate of righteousness of saying, if I let wrong, sin, evil creep into my life, it's going to get through and kill me. And I'm, I'm lying to myself if I think nobody will know, it won't matter, it will. And if we want that protection of that breastplate then we need to watch our lives carefully to make sure we do the right and avoid the wrong. And it is a protection for us. Then Paul looked down at his feet and talked about the sandals of the gospel of peace. Now you you have to catch both words there. This isn't just the sandals of peace. In other words, you'd be a peaceful person. What Paul says is the sandals of the gospel of peace. I know the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
And because of the good news of Jesus, that gives me peace. So that, as Paul says, I can stand firm. Obviously, if you're in battle and you're falling over, you're in trouble. Or if you step on a rock. My wife and I have a lot of fun with this because she grew up going barefoot. I did not grow barefoot. I don't go barefoot. I just don't do that. Because you might step on a little rock. And then it hurts the bottom of your foot and you limp. And, and it stays sore forever. And you can't run. You can't do anything because the bottom of your foot hurts. I want sandals on there. No, I want big boots. Lace them up. So that you know your feet are good to go and you can move. And that's exactly what Paul says. Now what gives us that kind of stability? The gospel of peace. That good news of Jesus produces peace. And I actually want you to think about it in two directions. Paul doesn't say specifically what direction he's referring to. I think it works both ways. The gospel gives me peace between me and God. The good news of Jesus, and Steve talked about it in the communion meditation. The good news of Jesus is that God and I are okay. And I can know that because of Jesus. Not because I'm so good. Not because I've earned his love. I couldn't, but I didn't have to. God and I are okay because Jesus is my Savior and he died on the cross for me. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And because he sees Jesus, not sinful Jim Connor, he loves me and accepts me and says, you're my son, you're my daughter. And God and I are okay. We are at peace. And that gives me a firm footing. But I think we can take that peace the other way too. You see, the gospel doesn't just give me peace between me and God. It should also help me find peace between me and other people. That doesn't mean there aren't people out there that are obnoxious and rude and whatever. But I'm changed if I have the gospel of peace. And I see people differently. I look at them through different glasses and a whole different value setting structure. Because I've come to understand who they really are. They're a child of God. And God loves them. Even though they may be not very lovable people, God loves them. And I see them differently. And my relationship with others and how I treat them, how I respond to them, changes because of the gospel. What does Paul say in Romans 12, 18? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. That's the call to us. And you see, that gives stability in our lives. I can't control everybody else, but I can control me and how I react to them. And that changes how I handle life and the conflicts of life. Because the gospel of peace has changed me. And peace defeats Satan. Satan loves conflict. He loves it when we are not only hurt, but we hurt others. 
He loves to see conflict like a virus spread. And we've all seen that happen in families, at workplaces. And suddenly this conflict between two people becomes between 10 people and then 20 people. And it's like, how did this get out of control? It is like a wildfire. And that's where there's an absence of peace. And that's Satan working. Because God is about peace. Christ came to bring peace. And that's what he wants to offer us. The next thing Paul mentions is the shield of faith. And that Roman shield was an amazing thing. If you've studied any of the ancient history, the the Roman legionnaires had been taught and trained so they could come together and they could stand shield to shield and it formed a wall. But they even had been trained so the second row put their shields up here. So the front row had their shields facing forward. All the outer rows faced out and those behind them put their shields up. And they could literally, almost like an armadillo, they could move through a battlefield and they could not be stopped. Because they were surrounded by those shields. And whether it was uh, spears coming this way, arrows coming this way, you couldn't stop them. And Paul said, we've got a shield. We've got a shield as mighty as any shield a Roman legionnaire carries. And what does Paul say that is? It is our faith. Our belief in God and that he is there and the kind of God that he is and that the promises in his word are really true and that he is for us and he will be with us. Because in the midst of battle, there's going to be bad things happen. And there are going to be attacks Paul calls them flaming arrows. And we face that in this broken world. We face it every week. Sometimes it feels like we face it every hour. Those bad things that come at us and against us. And sometimes we don't see a way out. We don't see the solution. We don't have answers. We're not strong enough, smart enough, quick enough. And it would be easy to feel defeated. But Paul said, that's when we need that shield that's faith. It says, I don't have all the answers, but God does. This evil force against me may seem great, but I serve a God who is greater. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I have already proven on Easter morning that I can defeat the best Satan has. So trust me, I can handle this. Those promises of Scripture really are true. God will not desert us. God will bring good from even that which may feel like bad. All of those promises are really true. And so that when we feel those attacks coming from Satan, accusations, bad circumstances, terrible things happen, we have to grab that shield of faith and remind ourselves of the promises that God has given us. I will be with you. There's a reason I was at a gravesite on Friday and we read the 23rd Psalm. 
there is a reason the 23rd Psalm is one of the most popular pieces of Scripture out of the whole Bible. What does David say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be with me. And your rod and your staff will comfort me. I will draw comfort from the fact that even though I have to walk through the dark valley, and the literal Hebrew word is there, a valley so dark it'll scare you to death. We have to walk through those. There's a battle going on. We're in a war. But the comfort is, I am not alone. God says, I'll walk with you. I will be there beside you, and I won't just be beside you. I will use my weapons, my rod and my staff, to guide you and defend you. You are not alone. You see, when I remind myself of that, Suddenly those attacks, those bad circumstances, they're not as scary. Because I see a way out. And that way out is the God who walks with me through this dark valley. The God who has defeated Satan. The God who is greater. Some of those songs that we sang leading up to this sermon. And that he is with us. He will not desert us. And we have seen through history time and time again where Christians have been persecuted and God is with them. And he will be with us. Faith defeats Satan's greatest weapons. The next thing Paul mentions is the helmet of salvation. Now a helmet's pretty important. Because if you want to see, you got to look over the shield. And to look over the shield, that means you got to expose your head. And you better have it covered or you die. So you need that helmet protecting, which is obviously our brain, pretty important stuff. Paul says we need that helmet. But for us as Christians, that helmet is our salvation. Knowing where we stand with God. Confident that we are a child of God's. This isn't a confidence that I'm good enough. This isn't a confidence of my works. It is a confidence of my status with God. And that I am one of his children. A son or a daughter of God. As we said earlier, because of what has happened in Christ... I can be confident that I am one of God's children. And if I am one of his children, then I have a status, a security for the future because of whose I am, not who I am. And that gives me a confidence and a safety in this fight. I cannot be taken from God's hands. Paul talks at length about that in Romans. That we can remain confident that we are safe because nothing can separate us. Nothing can come between. There's no weapon Satan has that can come between me and God's love. As long as I hold on to God's hand, nothing will take his hand out of mine. In 2 Corinthians 
I want to read verses 21 and 22 of 2 Corinthians 1. Paul knows it is important for us to have this confidence of our salvation. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. There are two images the New Testament uses for the spirit and our status as Christians. One is we have a deposit of the spirit. Part of God is already in us. And then the New Testament also talks about how we are marked. It's almost like a branding that says we are the genuine article. We are really a Christian. But repeatedly the New Testament says part of the reason God gives us that, that deposit of the Spirit guaranteeing what's to come, that branding that says we're the genuine article, is so that when doubts are placed upon us, we don't doubt. Satan has many names in the Bible, one of which is the accuser. We see him in the book of Job. Where is he at? At the throne of God, accusing Job. Satan loves to accuse. And do you know one of the people he loves to accuse to is ourselves. Satan loves to come and whisper in your ear, look at you, you're not good enough. Look what you've done. You've sinned. Look at that. Look at, look at that. And oftentimes when Satan accuses us, sometimes he's speaking the truth. We did do it. We did blow it. We did something stupid. We did something we wish we hadn't done, but we did it. Even Paul says, I, I, I never want to do that again. I keep doing it. Wretched man that I am. We provide Satan with limitless ammunition to attack us with accusations. But because of God's grace, we can have a confidence that we are still saved. That salvation, we have that deposit. So that we can say to Satan, get away. Take your accusations. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a wretched man. But with Paul, I can say, who will save me from this body of death? Praise God, it is Jesus Christ who takes that sin away. So Satan, you can take your accusations and walk away. You're not going to steal my joy. You're not going to steal my peace. You're not going to drive a wedge between me and God because I am saved. I'm one of his children. I've claimed Christ as my Savior. I've been forgiven. God looks at me and sees Jesus. So Satan, you're wasting your time here accusing me. That's that helmet of salvation. There's one other thing that Paul talks about and that is the sword of the Spirit. If you think about it, it is the one offensive weapon that Paul talks about. In many ways you could say that everything else that Paul has described on the Roman legionnaire was a defensive measure to protect, to give safety, to stop from being defeated. But in the final piece of equipment Paul talks about, he now shifts to the offense. For it is with a sword 
that a Roman legionnaire attacked. The sword is our weapon, and Paul clearly says that sword is the Word of God, the Bible. We have a spiritual weapon to attack Satan, and that is the Bible. The very words of God himself that carry truth, that explain what is and what is not, and that stop what Satan is trying to do. And that that word has a power all its own. Turn over with me to Hebrews 4. The the writer of Hebrews talks in, in detail about the power of the word of God. For the word of God is living and active. It has a life of its own. Just that Bible you hold in your hands. It has a life of its own. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's an amazing thing. We all wrestle, don't we, as humans, about how do I change another's behavior? Because we know that as physical beings, we only can really control what's on the outside. You know, I can control what people do with their hands, their actions. I can punish them if I see what's going on and they cross a line. But we all know that what all of those actions are really coming from the inside. And that's where we don't know, how do we go change a heart? How do we go change an attitude? We can't. The Word of God can. The writer of Hebrews says the Word of God has a power all its own. You don't have to have a teacher there. You don't have to have a preacher there. You just open the book and it has a power all of its own just in reading it. And that power can go to the very center of our beings It can change attitudes. It can change hearts. It has that much power. And there's countless stories of lives that have been totally turned around and all they did was start reading three minutes of the Bible a day. And they started reading it. And things started happening in their lives. And it was magical because you couldn't explain it. But things started happening. Why? Because the Word of God, on its own, has a divine power that goes down inside to change hearts, attitudes, minds, all of that. That is our weapon against Satan. What he's trying to do in another life, or in a home, or in a family, the truth of Scripture can stop that. If that truth is opened up and allowed to work, His lies are exposed. Truth is added. Sometimes, as pastors, you get nervous about talking about spiritual warfare because you feel like, well, it's going to scare people. But then you wrestle with the fact, but the Bible is pretty clear it's a reality and we have to warn people. We have to explain what's going on. But the goal isn't to make people afraid. Not because it's not a scary concept or that the battle isn't scary. But we don't have to be afraid because God is on our side and he's given us the weapons that can produce victory. As I was finishing the sermon this week, 
I thought of that quote of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And I looked it up because I wanted to make sure when it was said. And it was actually said in his first inaugural address in 1933. I thought it was maybe about World War II, but it wasn't. He was taking the presidency at the lowest point of the Depression. And it seemed pretty hopeless from everything I read in history. There had been years of massive unemployment and things seemed to be going nowhere but worse. And he stood up and he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And over a period of several years, America began to change. And the economy began to change. I think what Roosevelt was trying to say is we have what we need to stop this depression and turn this country around if we will quit being afraid and do what we need to do. And under his leadership, it happened. But it struck me that that same thing could be said for us as Christians. As we face Satan... As we live in a world that is so broken and makes us confront evil every day. Please remember, we serve a living God who has defeated everything Satan has ever done. And who has provided us with weapons that will defeat Satan. If we will put on the full armor of God and use what he has provided... We don't have anything to be afraid of. We have Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you have made for us. Weapons to protect us. Weapons to help us defeat Satan. I ask you to help us see the importance of these things and to look at our lives and to build them into our lives so that we do put on the full armor of God. So that we can take our stand and even if there is fighting this week and we're in the midst of a battle, that at the end of the week we will be standing still. Because we have your full armor on. Thank you for that hope you give us. In your son's name.